0: Okay, we are finishing up a portion in James that we've been on for two weeks. And then last week, which was July 4th, we didn't have any class because of the difference in the church schedule. So, uh, this was in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. And the key there, and I'll just give a very, very brief mention, very brief mention, as to what the topic was there because this is a, compu- a confusing passage for many because they feel that, that uh, you know, are we supposed to be walking in faith or in works? And so if we read, for example, verse 14 of James chapter 2, what use is it then, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but he has no works, can that faith save him? And so let me just... Reiterate what I, we, just give a, a short synopsis of what we had covered the last two times. The situation for Paul, Paul didn't write James, James wrote James, but the situation for Paul concerning works versus, versus grace was that for Paul, uh, the way of justification was to counteract legalism. Uh, for James, He was referring to the life of the justified, meaning that the works that should come out as a result of being saved. For Paul, the meaning of the word word works uh, was with respect to the Old Testament law of Moses, the 613 commandments. For James, it was the works of love and faith that are manifest after salvation. The meaning of the word justification for Paul was acquittal or legal term, for James it was a vindication or justifying one's profession. For Paul the intention was to contrast salvation through grace or works, and for James was to contrast dead faith versus a living faith. And for Paul the place of works was he argued against works as a means for justification and for James, he argued four works in the lives of those already justified. So what we're going to do is we're going to look now at a series of different scriptures which help to pull all this together. And as I had promised you when we first started this chapter, this portion is just bear with me for the three-week period that we'll be covering this, because then now I think that today we'll be able to pull it all together. So let's just expand on this and be certain. So one need not believe and commit total obedience to be saved. So one doesn't have to have total obedience to be saved. And how can I say that? Well, who of us has total obedience to the Lord? Tell me, which one of us can raise our hand and to say, I obey the Lord totally, always, all the time, and I have since the day of my salvation. So, in other words, one not need to have total obedience to be saved. Salvation occurs by grace through faith alone, apart from works. And we looked at these scriptures. For example, we had looked at verses in Ephesians. But let's let's just uh, look at a few scriptures today that underscore each of these points that I'm making. So, if you look in Acts chapter 16, verse 31, it says... Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved you and your household." So this was the word of, of Paul to the, to, the, uh, to the jailer. He said, "Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved you and your household." He didn't say, "Do good works, and that will save you." No, he said, "Believe. If you look over in Romans chapter one, verse 16, Romans 1:16, says something similar. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So salvation results from believing the gospel and its content that Jesus died for our sins, he was buried, which is the evidence of his death, and he rose again on the third day. In fact, it tells us in 1 Corinthians, that I, I, I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, He was buried, and on the third day He rose again according to the Scriptures. So that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. So this is what it tells us, that of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, He was buried, And he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And in fact, in the New Testament, there's about 200 references in the New Testament to belief or faith is given as the only condition for salvation. Belief or faith is given as the only condition for salvation. So true saving faith is expected and will produce works, but works are not required for salvation. Works are an outcome of salvation. And this is what James is talking about in this chapter. That works manifest themselves as an outcome of salvation. Good works are the result and not the cause of salvation. So we are not saved because of good works, but they are the result of good works. Now let's look in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Because this is going to get to a question that often bothers believers. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Related to this point. Reading from verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 3 verse 1. Now verse 2. I gave you milk to drink. Not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Instead, even now, you're not yet able. For you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? So this is an important passage for us to think about what Paul is saying here. He is speaking to believers. How do we know he's speaking to believers? Because he said, and I, brethren... That means brothers in Christ. He's speaking to believers. Could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. He says, I can't even address you as I like to address other Christians. Because you are so, in his term, fleshly, men of flesh. You are such men of flesh. You are like unsaved. As infants in Christ. Meaning... As if you first came to know the Lord. And you often see this. People will come to know the Lord. They make a profession of faith. And the next day you talk to them. And they're still very fleshly in the way they act. The motivations that they had before that accepting of the Lord and and after are not that much different. Something happened within, but there's no real manifestation yet. The practices that they were engaged in. They haven't necessarily changed from. Sometimes, immediate salvation, there's a change in practices. But not always. So, in other words, he says, you are like infants in Christ. In other words, you are in Christ, but you're like infants. It's as if you just got saved. Now, these people in Corinth had heard the gospel, and Corinth had received the the testimony about four years earlier. And he's saying, but still, it's as if you just got saved. So, in other words, it is possible for a believer to walk in the flesh. It is possible for a believer to be fleshly, men of flesh, people of flesh. He says, I gave you milk to drink and not solid food, for you're not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not able. He says, you can't, you can't receive this. Even after four years, I can't talk to you about anything deeper in Christ. Because you haven't progressed in your faith. There was no progression from the time of salvation. Salvation is true, they are brothers, but there's been no progression. For you are still fleshly. Some Bibles say, some, some uh, uh, translations say carnal. You are still fleshly. For since there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? Have you ever met believers? And it upsets you that they're walking the way they are. And you're like, you're, you're a believer. Why are you doing this? This is an example that this can be. They are believers, but they are walking according to the flesh. And if you in that same chapter, look down in verse 11 of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it because it is about to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. So, in other words, men can build upon the foundation of salvation in Christ. We can build upon that. With gold, silver, or precious stones... Meaning things that are godly, or we can build upon it with wood, hay and straw, and the wood, hay and straw is going to burn away. but in other words, people can still very much be in the world after salvation. Look in Romans chapter 12. This is a commonly quoted section, Romans chapter 12, just before First Corinthians. This is Romans chapter 12. Same sort of idea that we can get out of this verse. Romans 12.1 Therefore I urge you brethren by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God which is your spiritual service of worship. So look what he says. Therefore I urge you brethren He's speaking to believers to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. In, in other words why would he tell them to present their bodies a living and holy sacrifice if they're if they were totally turned over to him already there's no use in saying it it's because they weren't totally turned over to him that he urges them to submit themselves in total to Christ so a believer can walk in an unfruitful manner we have that capability if you look in second peter Second Peter 1, eight says the same sort of thing, and if, it, if it's trouble for you to keep up with me and looking up the scriptures, don't bother, I will read them. In Second in, uh, Peter chapter one verse eight, it says, "For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ." In other words, if these qualities, which you just said above, are working in you, and they're increasing, you won't be unfruitful. So, in other words, a believer can be unfruitful. Here is a manner to keep ourselves from being unfruitful. But we have to concede that it is true, a believer can walk fleshly and carnal, and we can walk in an unfruitful manner. And I think if we look at ourselves, we can say, yeah... That's certainly true. I don't have to look at my neighbor. All I have to do is look at myself. And we know that a true believer can fall. I mean, many people fall. David fell into adultery and murder. True believers can fall. Now, sometimes it could mean that the people were never really saved to begin with. That could happen. That we think somebody's saved and they're not saved. And how do we know that that could happen? If you turn over just after 1 Peter comes, 1 John, in 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2 verse 19 says, They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they are not really of us. So what this is showing is that not everybody who is in our midst is necessarily saved. So when some people, we say, wow, my goodness, you know, they participated with us and now they're just back in the world. Maybe they were never really saved to begin with. I don't know. I can't judge that. But we do have precedent in the Word of God that people can be among us who are never really part of us. They went out and they were never really part of us. This can happen. Not all who claim to be believers really are. That is true. We have evidence of that, multiple examples of that in Scripture. Also, the salvation ritual, meaning the walk down the aisle, or the sinner's prayer, does not necessarily make one saved. It is the belief. Belief in the heart is what saves. In other words... The person who's going to walk the aisle was saved before they ever walked the aisle. Walking the aisle was the public profession. If he doesn't really believe, then walking the aisle, then neither walking the aisle nor the sinner's prayer is going to save him if he doesn't really believe. You see what I mean? Anybody can recite these words. So in other words, it is the belief that is the important thing. Walking the aisle doesn't save us. The sinner's prayer doesn't save us. Before we prayed the sinner's prayer, it was the belief that saved us. This is an open testimony now. All believers we see from Scriptures begin as babes in spiritual immaturity. This is how we begin. We begin as babes, as excited as we might be on the day of salvation. We begin as babes in spiritual immaturity. Time is required to grow. And this includes submission to Jesus' Lordship in increasing areas. And as you go throughout life, God has a very good way through the Holy Spirit of exposing to us the areas that we have not yet submitted to Him. And so that something that I am, I've been doing for the last five years, all of a sudden... The Holy Spirit drops it on me. This is something you may want to change. Well, was it right last year and the year before? Not necessarily. But God graciously, in time, conforms us year by year, more and more into the image of His Son. God does this. It would be absolutely overwhelming to take a brand new believer and expect of them what we expect of those who have been walking with the Lord for a number of years. Jesus says, to whom much is given, much is expected. We grow in expectation. You do the same thing with children. You don't expect from a five-year-old what you expect from a ten-year-old. You don't expect from a ten-year-old what you expect of a twenty-year-old. This is natural and it is true in the spiritual realm as well. The other thing about this is that not all believers progress into spiritual maturity. How do we know that? We know that from that portion we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 1 about the fleshly and the carnal. Not all believers progress into spiritual maturity. This is just a fact of what we see around us. It is not a good thing, but it is a fact. Their salvation is sure. It is not the works that's going to get them their salvation. That was done on the day of salvation. That was done at the moment that there was belief. If they walked the aisle, that's not what saved them. It was the belief. But not all believers grow into spiritual maturity. Does that make sense? Not everyone grows. Some remain carnal and fleshly. These believers were four years in the Lord, Paul said, I can't even address you as I address Christians because you guys just are not catching on. It's as if you just got saved. You are absolute babes in Christ. All I can do is tell you about Jesus and how He loves you. I can't bring you on into any depth. And we know believers like that. And others who were progressing and moving on in the Lord can fall back into being fleshly. There are examples in Scripture of that. Look in, in Hebrews chapter five. In Hebrews chapter five, it addresses this specific issue. Hebrews chapter five, verse eleven. Hebrews five eleven. Concerning him we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. You see? You have become dull. Not that you always were dull, he doesn't say you've always been dull of hearing. You have become dull of hearing. Verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have not come to need, uh, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Do you see the progression of Christian growth? There is a progression here. And sometimes it's it's, it's like, you know, this person's saved and we want to all of a sudden have these enormous expectations for them. No, it is natural for them to have to undergo a progression. And after a while, you have to look at them and say, Hey, let me show you this verse. Let me enlighten you. You might want to think about this practice. And if God is stirring in their heart, they go, Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. And then all of a sudden, inside, they're taken aback. And something happens. And they begin to grow. But people who have grown and who have shown a pattern of growth can slip back. And here we have evidence of it. You have become dull of hearing because there's no practice here that prepares you now for more and more solid food. You've slipped back into the milk and not the meat of the Word. So people can actually be progressing and slip back. They haven't lost their salvation. They are still brethren. But there is no growth that's now occurring anymore, and they've gone and they've slipped back. Have you ever seen some other some believer who has grown to some degree, and then all of a sudden they're back in the world? You know, don't let this shake your faith. The Bible tells us this can happen. Just be concerned about yourself that it doesn't happen to you. You know, let this turn our attentions to ourselves. And say, God help me, God protect me. For many years, after I got saved, my prayer was, Lord, please don't let me slip away like I see so many slipping away. I was in a discipleship house with nine other Christian young men. And there was another adjoining, uh, uh, another house just down the road for young ladies and another house down the road from that for other young men. And we were all part of this discipleship program. So there were probably... 30 young men and, well, maybe, maybe uh, 25 young men and maybe 15 young women all in this discipleship program together. So I saw many of them go back into the world. Now they still had believed, they, they, they weren't rejecting the Lord. If you asked them, do you still believe in God, the answer generally would have been absolutely. But there was nothing there of substance. There was no going to church. There was no community in life of believers. People had slipped back. This happens. Let it not shake your faith. Just be concerned for yourself that it doesn't happen to you. Regeneration implies that in time, one will reflect this new state through works. This is what James is saying. Works are a manifestation of faith. Now, the works that you expect to see in others might be imperceptible to you. But the works are an outworking and not the cause for salvation. God will not tolerate a true believer walking in known, known to him or to her, unconfessed sin. God will not tolerate the true believer Walking in unconfessed sin. If we know about that unconfessed sin. How do we know? He will discipline us, resulting the results of his discipline are threefold weakness, sickness, or physical death if we do not bow to his discipline. And how do we know that? Look in first Corinthians chapter five. First Corinthians chapter five. God will discipline us if we do not grow. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 1 It is actually reported that there is immor- immorality among you and immorality of such a kind as he does not of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles that someone has his father's wife So in other words here in the church in Corinth somebody was sleeping with his father's wife that is not his mother would have said his mother So the father had had another wife that was not the mother of this young man, but this young man was sleeping with. You have become arrogant, it says in verse 2, and have not mourned. Uh, You have become arrogant and have not mourned instead, so that the one who has done this deed would be removed from your midst. For I, on my part, though absent in the body, but present in the spirit, have already judged him who was so who has so committed this, as though I were present. In the name of our Lord Jesus, when you are assembled, and I with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. That's pretty strong. Paul said, look, I'm not in Corinth right now, but I'm writing you this letter. When you gather together, I'm going to be with you in spirit and this is what you're going to have to do with this young man. You're going to have to cast him out of your midst. And you're going to have to tell him. And and you're going to see that Satan is going to beat up on this guy and destroy his flesh so that his soul could be saved. And then if you read in 2 Corinthians, God addresses this very young man again in his second letter to the Corinthians and says, Okay, you dealt with the guy. Now, invite him back. He's repented. Open your arms to Him again. And so you see that, that Paul turned him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. If a believer walks in unconfessed sin, a true believer, God will discipline them. Look in uh, uh, the same book, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and I talk about this portion every week when we take the Lord's Supper. Let's start reading in verse 28. 1 Corinthians 11:28. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. If we don't judge ourselves rightly, And allow the Holy Spirit to begin to speak with us. And we start taking of the Lord's Supper. It says that we will become weak and sick and sleep. Sleep means death of the believer. Jesus often spoke of, he would say, she's just sleeping. And the people would start laughing. And you say, she's dead. You say, she's sleeping. Jesus spoke of sleep as death of the believer. Meaning that they're with God. It's not that utter death. So in other words, even when they die, even if we should so die because of our rebellion, we will be with God. It will be asleep. But there is obedience to Christ as he begins to speak with us, or there is discipline. Now some people will refrain from taking of the Lord's Supper because they say, I don't want this to happen to me. Well, then you get it from the other side for not partaking. Because Jesus said, unless a man eats my flesh and drinks my blood, he has no part of me. So we are to partake. Because it says, uh, um, he says that for this reason, he um, he says, so when we eat and drink, we are to eat and drink of the cup. It says, let a man eat, let a man drink. Let him do this. This is good to do. We don't escape it just by not taking the Lord's Supper. Who are we fooling? We're not fooling God. God has this before us in order to give us a chance to repent. Now, if we do see somebody who claims to be a believer and is living in unconfessed sin, yet never seems... To be suffering divine discipline, it might well be that they were never a believer at all. If a believer is continuing to walk in unconfessed sin, and no discipline seems to be coming upon them, it might be that they were never really a believer at all. And how do we know that? Look in Hebrews chapter 12. It mentions a state like this. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 8. We'll start reading from verse 7. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So in other words, if if a man walks in unconfessed sin, and there seems to be no divine discipline upon them, the question is, were they ever really a son at all? Were they ever really a believer at all? Because God says His discipline will come, but His discipline won't come on the unbeliever in the same way, because they're illegitimate children. Now let's, let's look at the straw men. Whenever we talk about this portion in James, there's these straw men questions that come up. And both of these questions were brought up to me after my first teaching on this portion in James. And I had told people, just wait, wait till I get done with this portion. But right after that first teaching, two people came up to me and both of these straw man questions arose. Here's the straw man. A carnal Christian is someone who is saved but shows nothing of outworking of his salvation. And the problem with that is shows nothing. Another straw man is a true believer can be carnal all of his Christian life and never produced fruit. Again, all of his Christian life. And let me expand upon that. We know carnality exists as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. Paul said, you are fleshly. We know people can be walking in the flesh. He says, you walk like mere men. You're no, you don't walk like believers. I can't talk to you like believers. You don't walk like believers. So we know that that, that happens. The problem is, in one of them, all of his Christian life. How do we know all of this Christian life? We don't know what God is doing. And so what I want to do is try to bring this back to a reasonableness in us us, so as not to cast judgment upon our brother. If we might characterize somebody as carnal, it doesn't mean that they are carnal in all areas of their lives. So in other words, if we look at somebody and say, there's a carnal Christian. I can't judge that. I don't know about other areas of his life or of her life. God wants us to look at ourselves. Because it says in in Matthew chapter 13, it says, you know, believers bear fruit. Some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. People bear different amounts of fruit. As long as the Holy Spirit is in a believer, there will be some bearing of the work of salvation. If the Holy Spirit is in the life of a believer, there will be some bearing of fruit. How do we know? Because James tells us that. We will all admit that there are moments that we're unfaithful as believers, right? Have you ever had a moment of unfaithfulness? Just a moment, just a thought of unfaithfulness? Have you ever had a moment? Okay, so if there could be a moment of unfaithfulness in the life of a believer... Could there be two moments of unfaithfulness? If two moments, could there be a minute of unfaithfulness in the life of a believer? If a minute, how about an hour? Could a person for an hour, a believer for an hour, be unfaithful to the Lord and partake in some practice that they know upsets the Lord? Could a person do that? You want me to bring this home? Let me bring it home with myself can I watch a movie for two hours that I know is probably not a good movie and does not glorify the Lord? Could I do that? Yes, I could. So if two hours, how about two days? So what about a believer who is unfaithful to the Lord for two years? That could happen. But there's still a believer. Paul exhorts the believers to to be engaged in good works so as not to be unfruitful. We read that portion in Second Peter about Peter calling people to a fruitful life. Paul did the same thing in Titus chapter 3, verse 14. He says, be fruitful. Why does he have to exhort us to be fruitful? Because he realizes that there are times when unfruitfulness can come. Just because I don't see... Works In the life of another believer It doesn't mean that there are no works The works might be erratic Maybe their works are being manifest When I'm not around It could also mean that my understanding of fruit And the bearing of works Might not be well developed Or my list Might be too short Or selective Or prejudiced Or extra biblical That happens a lot People say, well, a true believer would do such and such. A true believer would stack chairs after class. No. Not necessarily. Maybe that true believer has a very bad back and is unable to stack chairs. But we want to say a true believer would do this as if it were a biblical imperative. Imperative. Unless it specifically says it in the Bible that we are to do it, it is not a biblical imperative. And if you can't find it in there, it's not in there, and so you can't put that expectation upon somebody else. It is just like the things that bother us, we would like to label as sin. Oh, that is sin. If you don't do that, that's sinning. Well, show me in the Bible where that is sinning. Well, it's implied. It's implied. And we all want to do that. And, and, and I gave this teaching once, years ago, in, in this class for the college students. And one guy wrote me a letter, uh, sent me an email after that class. He said, this is the first of your Bible studies that I attended. I'm not a Christian, but I just want to say, I agree with you. I agree with you that, that, uh, um, that you know some of the things that you cited are not sins. But let me tell you one thing that really is a sin. One thing that really is a sin is eating uh, uh, meat that, that, has, that, that is not organically grown. Eating meat, you know, because these, these cattle are in these feedlots and, you know, they're cramped in there, and that is really a sin. So here was this unbeliever defining for me what was sin, who had no particular regard for the Bible, but all of a sudden he could define for me what was real sin. But you see what I mean. That whatever our pet peeve is, we like God to also call that, yes, that is sin. You know, if, I believe, if that really bothers me, it must be sin. No, it's not sin. Unless it's specifically written in the Bible. And there's a plenty to keep us busy doing the right thing in here. But in the same way, it's the same with my list of what a true believer would do. The true believes, people who really believe, do some things and don't do other things. And other things are Cultural. They're really cultural. I'll give you an example. There are parts of Southeast Asia when you talk to people that based on American standards, they are, are just just unkindly frank. You, know, you hardly even know this person and they'll walk up to you. You don't look good today. You know, your hair is ugly today. And you're like... You know, that's that's offensive to us as Americans. We don't say that to other people. We might think it, but we don't, unless we know them, there's some relationship there. But you don't walk up to somebody you you hardly even know and say that. But this is a cultural thing, and as I've met more people from this particular country, they're like this. They do this. This is actually a, a cultural thing. There are places in Europe you can go where your business is everybody else's business. Where people will walk up to you and say, you know, your car is not parked quite right. It's, it's, it's got more room on this side than on this side. And as an American, I'm like, and? What's this to you? Is that your car over there or that one? If not, this is another business of yours. But in their culture, this is everybody's business. There's some places in Europe that... What the front of your house looks like, unless it has lots of flowers, you're not keeping it up. And there's other places where, where it's fine in this country, you know, to put a, put a washing machine on your front porch. I mean, this is just natural. You see, so a lot of these things are cultural. Cultural. And we may think, well, a true believer would never set a washing machine on their front porch and leave a car parked on the front lawn and store their laundry in that car. Well, there are places in the United States that's perfectly acceptable. In fact, that's where everybody does. Where else would you, you know, keep your linens? But in the old car that's parked in the front yard. What else do you do with an old washing machine that doesn't work? Then move it out to the front porch because you know, at some point you might need it for parts. You see what I mean? To say a true believer would not do that has nothing to do with true believer. And so sometimes our judgment of others is extra-biblical. I'm using some extremes here to let you see how how sometimes we can judge. Now let's finish it up with two verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motive of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. So you see, God sees what other people are doing. We don't see. We may say, I've never seen that guy do anything nice to anybody else. Well, maybe because he doesn't like to blow his trumpet when he does nice things for other people. Or maybe they're more subtle and you don't see it. Maybe you don't see the way he's praying for people. And we say, well, I know that guy's a believer because I see him always working around the church. Well, the Bible says that he's also going to disclose the motives of men's hearts. Maybe I do it just to be seen by men. Maybe that's my motive. And so, he says, just be careful with the judgment and just know that each man's praise will come to him from God. It doesn't say some men will be praised, some men won't. He says each man's praise will come to him from God. God will have something good to speak about each of us. Look in Romans chapter 14, just before 1 Corinthians is Romans, and we'll finish up with this. Romans chapter 14, verse 4. Romans 14, verse 4. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. If that guy is a believer, if that lady is a believer, the Lord will make them stand. It is not our part to be judging the servant of another. They serve God. We may say, well, they'll never stand before Him. no. The Bible says different. He will stand. Why? Because God is able to make him stand. There are works that will be manifest in the life of a believer. If someone is a believer, the works will be manifest. Some walk in a carnal manner and we pray that they, they grow in the Lord. Some grow and then slip back into walking into a carnal manner. But their salvation is sure in the Lord. And good works will be manifest in their lives because the Bible says good works will be manifest. Some 30, some 60, and some 100-fold. And if we continue to walk in unconfessed sin, it is a sure thing. It is a sure thing. Discipline will come. Discipline will come. Through weakness, both spiritual and physical weakness, through sickness and through death. That will come because God disciplines His children because His children are not illegitimate. Let's pray. Father, I thank You so much for the truth of Your Word. You are so good. Father, I pray that You would take these young people and so manifest good works in their hearts the grace of god o oh lord be upon them manifest good works in their hearts i pray father i pray that you would you would cause them to grow in the fear of jesus christ and in hunger for you and for your word teach them your ways let them be a blessing blessing to the body of christ Father, I pray for the young women here, that You cause them to grow in You, that You cause them to marry in You, to marry as virgins to virgins. Father, I pray that You cover and protect them. Let them grow in You, Your ways, and in Your Word. Father, I pray for the young men, that You would cause them also to grow in You, that that which is pure and right would be done in their lives, that the mature in You, I pray. Have mercy on them. Manifest Your work in their lives. In the name of Jesus, Amen.